Welcome to the JVB Health and Wellness Podcast. So this podcast is about a health scare I had. The short of it is is that I had uh, some pain in my abdomen and got a bunch of tests and it turned out to be a tumor or a polyp on my gallbladder. And it was, um, the gallbladder is not a very big organ. I knew nothing about it before all this happened. And it turns out that the tumor was already 40% bigger than it should have been when the doctors start to worry about cancer. And right away, my doctor said, you, get, you need to get your gallbladder removed as quickly as possible. You can live without your gallbladder. And so uh, I had it removed and went through about a week uh, waiting for the results of the biopsy to see whether or not it was cancerous or not. Thank goodness it was benign. Uh, and I got very lucky, but they said it was precancerous and likely would have turned into cancer over the years. So I wanted to share this podcast about my experience. So I debated about whether or not I was going to talk about what I went through with my gallbladder and the tumor and getting it removed and kind of the ups and downs I went through and the thought process I went through. But ultimately, I decided that it's, I think, an important thing to share experiences like this so others can learn from them. I learned from them. And in my view, if one other person learns from something like this, then it's a win. And I think the takeaway is that if you have issues with your body or you think that something is abnormal, talk to your doctor about it. And, you know, we had a debate on this podcast about whether or not people should proactively see doctors regularly. I'm a believer in preventative medicine, seeing your doctor once a year, building a relationship with your doctor so you can see that doctor once a year, get your blood work done and so they get to know you and they, they can start to see what's abnormal and what's not, what's not. It's hard if a doctor only sees you one time and they don't know you for them to figure out whether or not you have things going on or not. In, in my case, I had symptoms. And when I did a little research, it was clear something was wrong. And I luckily had symptoms and was, you know, within a matter of a week once from finding out, I had my gallbladder removed and I'm better. And it was benign and there are no issues. But when we talk about preventative medicine, I think about going to the doctor. And I, had, I have this one saying I say for all the people I work with, nobody cares about their career more than you. If you want something, you should go get it. And I learned that when I worked at Goldman Sachs. And I have the same thing with health. Nobody cares about their health more than you. If you want something with your health, you've got to make it happen. And that means often advocating through doctors, kind of being the squeaky wheel in a nice way uh, so that if you think something's abnormal, you can get it tested. Now, I also believe that we should see what our blood work looks like every year and get a physical every year. But you'll hear that we also talk about medical nihilism. Uh, which is some people believe you shouldn't go to the doctor all the time. And maybe you should only go to the doctor if you have symptoms, because if you go to the doctor all the time, even once a year, there's always going to be something wrong. Doctors can find things wrong and then they can put you on medications. And, and I understand that side too. So I understand both sides. And I try and live my pillars and, and be healthy with exercise and sleep and movement and, and mostly eating well and you know all the other pillars, stress management and time management, so that I, you know, I am healthy and that when I do go to the doctor, it's just a quick checkup and there's nothing wrong. But when I was thinking through all of this and deciding, I did think of a story I had with uh, one person I spoke to. Uh, this was a number of years ago now. I was coaching somebody and she said, I want you to talk to my friend. She is not healthy. And when I had a call uh, with this person, you know, I usually just talk about, hey, what's going on? How are you feeling? And I went through all of the pillars and I was getting F grade in sleep, F grade in exercise, F grade in movement, F grade in nutrition. This was a salesperson who traveled a lot, who stayed in hotels, had a good life, made, made a lot of money, but you know, never focused on the health. And so she decided not to work with me 
And I said, well, how about I check in with you in a month? Checked in with her in a month and she wasn't getting any better. She did seem kind of a little bit run down. And then I, I checked in with her once a month for like months. And I finally said to my friend who introduced me to her, hey, look, you know, I'm not trying to be a pest with her, but like, it's pretty rare when I see somebody get an F in every single of these categories and she's overweight also. She's got a lot of bad signs there. I'm worried about her dying. She's 52 years old or 51 years old. And the odds are she won't die, but I'm worried about that. And so we continue to try and uh, press. And then I got a text from my friend when I was on a plane a few months later. And uh, the person said, I, I, I can't, I, I, I just can't. And I said, well, what's up? Through text. And she said, my friend just died. And what happened, they thought it was a heart attack, but what they found out later was that she had a blockage. I think it was in her intestine and it backed up. She was traveling and she died in a hotel room. And, and she and I had talked about, I said, if, if we work together, the first thing I'm gonna have you do is go, go see a doctor. You have, she hadn't seen a doctor in probably in 20 years. Go see a doctor, let's get clearance, mostly because I wanted her to get clearance to start an exercise regime, right? But of course the doctor, they'll, they'll, they'll listen to your symptoms and they might say, well, you need a colonoscopy. Or they might say, we need to get some blood work. And who's to know for sure if she would have gone to the doctor, if that doctor would have recommended a colonoscopy or not, right? But had they done some tests, they, there would have been at least a chance that they would have found that and there would have been at least a chance that she would not have died. And so that's just another example of when I think it's good to see a doctor. Now, some people, they'll have the symptoms and they'll just ignore them. I, I used to get some chest pain for a long time. I would just ignore it. You know, when I got this thing in my uh, abdomen, it was something I'd never experienced before and it only happened once or twice, right? So, uh, and, and then I started to pay more attention to the upper right quadrant area and I, and I started to think, oh, maybe this isn't my Crohn's, maybe this is something else. And, I, and I, that's the other reason why I kind of followed up, but it only happened a few times before I followed up with my doctor. And had I not followed up, you know, that tumor eventually might've taken many years and I don't know how long it was there for, that tumor eventually probably would have grown uh, into cancer, at least there was a very high chance, probably at least a 75 or 80 percent chance as the as the tumor grows that it would have turned into cancer. So you can make your own decision whether or not you want to be proactive with your health. I like to be proactive with my health because I want to know. And just one more comment I want to make on this. I talk to so many people that are healthy, so many people that are unhealthy. And many of the unhealthy people, some of the unhealthy people know they're unhealthy and they still go to the doctor and they still, they, they still, they know, the, they know the straight facts. But a huge majority of people that are not healthy don't know the facts and they, and they don't want to know. And, you know, uh, it's just playing the odds, right? If you go to the doctor, you might have a better chance of catching something. Now, you're going to hear these people all the time. You know, there's, you hear these stories of these people that go to the hospital when they think they have a heart attack. And the hospital's like, you're fine. And they discharge them, don't worry about it. And then they have a heart attack that night and die. You do see those things, right? So I understand both sides, but I think it's selfish, at least not to try and put yourself in a position to have as much knowledge as you can to make the best decision for yourself, right? So just because you see the doctor and they tell you something doesn't mean that you need to do it. My doctor tells me, hey, maybe you want to be on a statin, right? I have a little bit of plaque but I have spectacular cholesterol and I don't want the side effects of the statin. So I take what my doctor says and I don't take the statin. I have taken a statin at various points, but most of the time I don't take the statin. But I feel like it is very selfish not to try and put yourself in the best position, if not for yourself, but particularly if you have family and kids, it's selfish not to take care of yourself. So I had a uh, health scare, um, personally. I had a tumor on my gallbladder uh, I found out over the last two weeks, it was very scary. You know, it was 
there was a question if there was, um, it was cancer or not. I found out, I got my gallbladder removed uh, a week and a half ago. Um, I think I'd mentioned that, you know, my heart rate was irregular, but uh, so I was getting some tests for that. But about three weeks ago, I got some spasming in my upper abdomen, um, kind of right below the breastbone. And remember, I have Crohn's disease. And so I am used to all kinds of different things, but this felt abnormal to me. And so I went online and you, you really got to be careful what you read online about, you know, conditions because there are a lot of hypochondriacs out there and, you know, they freak out about things. I am not a hypochondriac, but I am very in touch with my body. And it happened after I had like, I love peanut butter. I had some peanut butter and I had made myself a smoothie and it was pretty bad. And I had to, t I had to take a deep breath to like, figure out like, why is this happening? I, I haven't had this before. And so I went online and I looked around and I thought it, I, I, the best thing I could do is pinpoint that it might be something in my pancreas. And so um, I called my doctor like the next day and I said, dude, I, I've been seeing this doctor for 20 years. I said, dude, I, I, I had this thing right? And when I go online and read about it, it looks like my pancreas. It looks like it's what's called pancreatitis. But that's weird because, you know, all my blood work looks fine. And, and so he ordered um, uh, MRI of the pancreas uh, and the abdomen area, right? And it came back, said, no, the pancreas is fine, but you have a spot on your gallbladder and the, uh, it's probably gallstones. And so um, we went, I went to get an ultrasound and they said, no, you do not have um, gallstones. You have a polyp or a tumor on your gallbladder. And if you go online and you read about the gallbladder and about um, polyps or tumors or masses, or I think all three of those are used interchangeably for what I had, um, you read a lot of bad stuff. Um, because what happens is like 80 to 90% of people that have a, a tumor on their gallbladder are asymptomatic, meaning they do not know they have it. And, um, and by the time they start showing symptoms, they, it's already spread to the liver and the pancreas and they die in six months. And so, you know, that was a scary thing. And my doctor said, you need to get that, you need to get your gallbladder out. So I went from like, whoa, um, healthy and living the way I live to like, you need to get your gallbladder removed. And they cannot tell for sure if it's benign or malignant until they actually sample it. Right. And so, um, so about two weeks ago, and I was, I was very symptomatic, many, many symptoms around my pancreas and around my, you know, regularity and my bowel movements. And, uh, and I had pain in the kind of upper right quadrant and I had referred pain in the middle of the chest, even to the left side of the, of the, of the not really the chest, the abdomen. And so um, I looked for a surgeon and I found my friend uh, referred me to a surgeon. I'd actually met him before. My friend is very close with this surgeon in at LA Cedar sinai And um, literally on a Wednesday, we had a call and he's like, I'm going to get you in to remove your gallbladder in the next two days. So this is a Thursday or Friday. And uh, so then I got a call on Friday night. This is when LA County was exploding with uh, COVID. And they said, well, we're going to have to delay your, we're going to have to delay your surgery because we're not doing an elective surgery. I said, well, look, you know, the tumor, so the tumor was 40% bigger than what a normal, like a, what a big tumor is. And there's a direct correlation between, between the size of the tumor and whether or not it's malignant. And so based on all the reading I did, you know, most of the time, if somebody has a small tumor like that, it's almost certainly benign, right? 
But as it gets bigger, there's a much bigger risk for it to be malignant. And so I was already 40% bigger than the size that they recommend taking it out. And so, um, and then they kind of pushed off my surgery. So I, they, they, they said, well, we'll tell Dr. Matt. I said, I'm not mad. I just need to get this thing out. And if it's not going to be through you guys, then I got to, you know, I got to figure out if I'm going to go back to New York or if I'm going to do it somewhere else. Because I, I had calculated that it had probably been growing. This is a guess based on everything I read for a couple of years. And there was an instance a couple of years ago where I had questioned my doctor about something in the pancreas area. So kind of I triangulated it all and pretty in touch with my body. And so um, I got a call last Sunday night um, on December 6th. And they said, actually, we're going to, can you come here at 5 a.m. tomorrow? We're going to take it out. So I had my gallbladder removed um, on Monday, December 6th at, in LA at Cedar sinai Now you can live without your gallbladder. It, it, what the gallbladder does is it produces bile and it helps the body absorb fat. I had, I had it removed laparoscopically. They do four incisions and then they go in and they take your gallbladder out, which is about three or four inches long, and then they biopsy it. Pancre pancreatic issues, particularly pancreatic cancer, are bad things. I know Steve Jobs had that and many people have it. Gallbladder is even worse. It's even more rare. Right. And so for that week and a half that I knew that I had the issue, it was a very scary time for me, particularly that I've been living my life the way I live for the last 10 years and, you know, questioning everything I've been doing for 10 years. Right. Uh, the way I've been living and healthy. Now, all the literature I read said there might be a small genetic component to it. So maybe my brother, Tony, having it removed and I, there, there's a reason that we both had the problems. Although one was stone, one was a tumor. Um, but it basically says everywhere I read that no matter what you do, whether you healthy or not healthy, the way you live, there's no correlation between getting that type of tumor. There's a bunch of tumors that you can get in your gallbladder and, um, they, and, and they, they don't really know unless they go in and take it out. So, so the bottom line is I waited four days, you know, um, and went through kind of like, my God, if this thing is cancerous, you know, has this thing spread and am I only going to live six months? And I'm not a drama person, but you know, all those thoughts go through your head. Right. And I got the results back and the doctor was kind of laissez-faire about it because on, when, when they're a little bit smaller, they're typically benign, but um, you just never know. And I, my doctors call me the N of one, like, of course, like a month ago, if you would have told me we'd be talking about me having my gallbladder removed and having a tumor in my gallbladder, we would have said, no way, that's not gonna happen to you. And my, doc my doctor, we were talking about it and he's like, I can't believe you know this happened and that we've never seen it because you're so tested and you, we check everything. Um, but uh, I got the results back uh, last Thursday and the tumor was benign, thankfully. Um, and, but the doctor said, you know, it was basically precancerous and he's like, it's a good thing you got that thing out because otherwise that thing was going to grow and it was almost certainly going to turn, it would have turned into cancer. And so, I mean, I had to press for my care to get that thing taken out as quickly as possible. Like, I don't know why anybody would want to sit there with that size tumor in their body and without getting it out. And you know, getting first pushed off because they said it was elective surgery. It's just, it's a scary thing. And I had read a lot of people in COVID that they, 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 they might have a real tumor that is cancer and they can't even get it removed right now. All right. So that was the scare I had. You know, I, when I first found out about the results, my family was in New York. And so I texted my wife and I, I gave her a couple of the reports and, and she said, well, what's the bottom line? Like what could happen? I said, you know, it could be benign, which is fine, or it could be real serious and it's a real problem. And I only texted her a couple of reports and a couple blurbs. And I get a call from my daughter, my 14 year old daughter about uh, an hour later. 
Daddy, do you have cancer? Well, why do you ask? Well, I was reading mommy's text and I read that you might have this thing. I said, no, I don't. And we, you know, my wife had cancer a long time ago. So we, we have talked about cancer in the family a fair amount, but um, uh, it was a very, very scary time. Very, very rarely in life do you get to go through a life event that could change you and not have the ramifications of it. And I would say there's no doubt that this was a life event for me. Uh, I was even questioning, how can I be a coach and how can I give people advice, you know, after I have myself some sort of issue? Now, we all know, I think you all know me well enough to know, I live the way I live because the doctors do call me in of one and they do say that you're doing spectacular based on what you have and what you've been dealt. And the, the tumor could have been because of my Crohn's disease too. You just never know. And I'll tell you, I had a 500 day streak of exercise, uh, like exactly 500 days. They called me on that Sunday, said, be here at 5 a.m. I wanted to keep it going, but I couldn't keep it going. And after the surgery, I was I was hurting pretty, I, I got very, very sick right after the surgery. So like about half, maybe a quarter of the people stay overnight in the hospital. I did not want to stay over the night in the hospital, but I was vomiting probably about 10 times after the surgery, I think more from the medication. Uh, but I did get out that night, that, that last Monday night, and I was hurting pretty bad for, two or three days, the doctor said, look, we want you to move. I have a history of blood clots. So of course, after surgeries, I have to move. So I would, I would set up a path in my house and I would walk around and, you know, I would take smaller steps. And then eventually two or three days later, I'm feeling better. And the doc, I talked to the doctor. He's like, look, you should, if you can exercise, you should exercise. So three days after, uh, I guess on the fourth day after the surgery, I started a new streak. And I have now been able to exercise for six days and I was able to run one day. Um, I've only run once because the incision is pretty big and uh, it hurts a little bit. But I thought, uh, you know, I think the takeaway from all of this, and I'm interested in you guys have any questions or want to talk more about it. But, but the takeaway is that I've always believed that we should take control of our health. When I talked to my doctor, I said, hey, have you ever seen anybody die from a tumor like this? And he, and he paused and I said, well, have you? And he said, I have. And I said, and that was scary, by the way. And I said, tell me. And he had a family member who had the same pain I had, the upper right quadrant pain. And um, they kept saying to him, his entire family's doctors, go to the doctor. It, it might be a gallstone. It's blocking, your, blocking you up. Or maybe it's, a, maybe it's a tumor. He didn't go to the doctor. It, it ended up being gallbladder cancer and he died. So Tony, um, who is 12 and a half years older than me, um, you know, he had his gallbladder removed also. And the, the interesting, Tony, I'm not going to get into the story too much, but I'm going to tell a little bit of the story. Tony was working with, I'm assuming, some residents or some interns, and they didn't know how to do ultrasounds. And you're like, how do you guys not, you're doctors, how do you not know how to do ultrasounds? And so they experimented on each other doing ultrasounds. And somebody was doing an ultrasound on Tony, and he's, Tony's looking at the screen, kind of like when you're, you know, looking at the screen with a baby or something. And Tony's like, whoa, wait, wait a second go back. And, and you said, Tony, that they saw some stones there. You want to talk about that? Or a stone? Yeah, so I, I was teaching a urology resident how to look at uh, kidneys. And I said, go back. And she said, what do you mean? I'm on your kidney. And I said, no, go back to the gallbladder. Because in that one split second that the, she put the probe right on my gallbladder just by luck, I saw the stone. So what did you say and what did you do? Because I think that you did not have it removed right away. Let's talk about what, from when you got that, what, what did you do? It was, a, it, was like a, it was like a 10 millimeter gallstone, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I was a 10-millimeter stone, so I took a bunch of pictures and put myself on a high-fat diet to see if I could pass it, which was really a dumb idea. <laughs> because two months later, guess what I had? Two 10-millimeter stones. Wow. Yeah, and no symptoms. Well, and th- didn't you say, though, that you became symptomatic where, where after you, once you had two of those, yeah. two, two of those, are that's a lot. They're going to get blocked in the bile duct, right? Then you started vomiting after eating, is that right? Well, not exactly. The big ones actually stay put. The small ones are the ones that pass and cause a lot of problems. A few years later, I started having symptoms, and I was uh, traveling a lot to third world countries, and I got worried that I'd need to have my gallbladder out when I was in a third world country and more or less decided to do it, you know, in the States. Uh, you know, I mean, I had symptoms, so it wasn't really prophylactically. It was justified. What do you so, think caused those symptoms? We're, we're blood. What do you think caused those symptoms? And Do you think that while I had the polyp or the tumor and you had the stones, do you think that we're genetically prone to these things and that's the reason I got it and you got it? Or do you think you caused them by the way you were living? Or both? Well, I think there's always a little bit of a genetic predisposition, but the flip side is uh, gallbladder disease is very prevalent. So you can't really say it's a genetic thing. I mean, it's, it's really more just kind of prevalent. When you say, you mean stones, right? You don't mean that, because the type of polyp I had, I think is somewhere between 2 and 8% at best of people. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You had a different thing. You had adenomyosis, which you're right. Everybody used to think is uh, benign, but long term, like 20 years, can turn into cancer. And you had symptoms from it, so it's good that you got it out. You look good. Do you feel good? I feel good. I lost some weight, actually. I am the lean. I one of my. I, I didn't know this until they weighed me in the hospital, but I, I, you know, weighed 173 pounds, which I feel. I feel good. I'm probably 80 percent. I still, when I take some breaths, I feel like I have a stitch in my side a little bit. It's, we're 10 days in now. Did you did you have that? Well, no, not really. Um, I mean, I had a painful belly for about a week, you know, because those little spots, those laparoscopic spots hurt. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, the one at the belly button is painful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, it's not no pain. It's just less pain than an open. Where I experienced the pain the most the day and two days after was in my left shoulder blade. And, uh, you know, sure enough, I, I had had those symptoms prior to having the gallbladder removed. And I had read a lot that if you do have, you know, things on your gallbladder that you might experience uh, shoulder blade and pain. And then when I went and read the discharge notes and online about, you know, gallbladder removal symptoms right after, it said that sometimes the most painful thing is in that shoulder blade. I mean, it was like nine or 10 out of 10 in pain. Do you have that? I didn't have that. That's it's probably not from your gallbladder. It's probably from the CO2 used to create the pneumoperitoneum. And what mm. it does is it tracks under your diaphragm and then it irritates and then the pain gets referred up to the shoulder blade. But you're absolutely right. A lot of people, that's the worst pain that they have. Yeah. And, and so, you know, me with a history of blood clotting. Do you have a history of blood clotting? Have you ever gotten a blood clot? Me, no. Yeah, uh, so I, I was getting up and walking, and I felt like I could walk. I was, you know, every day got a little better, and I talked to the doctor on the Thursday after the surgery, and, you know, uh, after he 
came back with a path report and said it's benign. And I said to him, hey, look, what's your view on when I can start to move and exercise a little bit? And he's like, it's all based on how you feel. And so I actually, on that Friday, was able to go, there's like a major stairwell in this area. I was able to go and walk up and down and didn't bother the incisions. The next day I was able to go out and run for 15 minutes, maybe it was 30 minutes. And it felt like I felt a little banging just on my belly button area. Uh, Just, and so uh, since then I've, you know, been able to walk up and down those stairs with no pain. And, you know, I've told myself that I won't run until uh, that, that incision feels a little better in the belly button area. But, you know, I had a 500 day streak of kind of exercise and now I have a six day streak. <laughs> yeah. But you did justify it. I mean, you're smart to play low for a, at least a few days, if not sort of a week or two of kind of easy stuff. Cause you're right. You want to heal. Yeah, and and I am a, as you know, type A personality, and my family has been really supportive in helping me, uh, driving the kids around and everything else. And you know, I really, I'm going every second of every day, most of the time, enjoyably, and like I feel fine. And if you look at all my heart stats and everything, the stress levels and everything, my heart rate variability is all fine. But I have forced myself to relax and not move as much and watch some shows. You should watch The Queen's Gambit if you haven't watched it yet on Netflix, Tony. You'll like it. It's about chess. Did you watch it? No, but I've heard of it. I've heard it's good. You will like it because you will like chess. Right, right. I remember, the first, I remember the first time I'd be dad, and that was an accomplishment for me. And then I remember, I think I told you this story. Everyone said dad wasn't having mental degradation. Remember, he had vascular dementia after having heart surgery. Um, and um, probably from the lack of blood flow to the brain. And I think right after his open heart surgery, I think he had quintuple bypass surgery. You know, he, he was, he had definitely some degradation. Um, and I remember playing him a few years after this, I think it told you the story and we were playing chess. I was home from New York and we were playing chess, which is such a great thing to do with people because, you know, you listen to some music and you're just talking and you're just being with somebody else. Right. Which is what I love about playing yep. games. And I remember I got my pawn across and I said, queen me. So I said, queen me. And he looked at me with confusion on his face and he said, you can do that? Oh, and that, man. And that's when I knew that he was no longer the same person. And, and, and everyone would come over and see him with his degradation. And they'd be like, what do you mean? He's fine. He can joke around. Yeah, he's a smart guy and he can fake it. But like, yeah. you know, when you're with somebody that and they say something like that, he's the person that taught me how to play chess when I was probably five years old, you know? He is yeah. the person that I played probably hundreds of games with. He is the person that gave me a lot of the chess books and I knew all their opening moves. And, you know, the Queen's Gambit is one of the opening openings that you study. That's why that's interesting for the name of that uh, Netflix movie. But yeah, crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah, good stuff. You know, the message to me is I got lucky to have the symptoms because 80 or 90 percent of people are asymptomatic and then they never get a check, you know. Well, that's always the risk that's what the risk of long-term stones is also big stones especially you get a people call it a porcelain gallbladder but it's uh it's, it's gallbladder cancer so yeah porcelain gallbladder right i i read about that i, I you know what do you think he meant when he said that your tumor is a, your your polyp tumor whatever it is is a weird shape as a doctor what do you think of when you hear that well, you always worry that it isn't benign, and you always worry that it's, you know, growing faster than it should be, because generally benign stuff is smooth and 
you know, not lumpy and not irregular. It's pretty much a smooth, uh, uh, you know, blobs of stuff. And so I'm not sure what he saw or what he felt, but, you know, he, he noticed something. I was just fortunate to get in because, remember, I was looking at going to other places. Just, you know, me, like – if I know I got to do it, I got to do it. I'm going to get it out. Just why would you want? And he said to me yeah. after, he's like, it's a good thing you got it out because then you're sitting there worrying about it growing, which it could grow fast and it could turn into something pretty quickly and you were symptomatic. So it's good. You got it out is what he said. Yeah. And he's right. You, you probably just would have gotten more and more symptoms out of it, which is not ideal. Totally. Right. So I have always believed that if we, have issues, we should go to the doctor. I have always believed that we should do some sort of preventative medicine once a year. And to me, that's a physical. You know, one of the people I coach, I've been coaching him for years now. He went uh, over the last few days and he got blood work and his blood work came back extremely poor. Okay. Super low vitamin D, super low B12, super high cholesterol, super, super high off the charts, LDL. And, uh, and has a family history of colon issues. And so you know, the doctor said you need to start taking supplements and you need to change the way you're living your life. You need to change the eating and he'll do it now. Right. And I've been there too. When I worked at Goldman, I weighed 50 pounds more. I've, we've all been there. Right. But, um, but had he not gone in to get that checked out, he wouldn't have known. He also got a colonoscopy because he has some history in the family and that came back clean yesterday. Right. So prevent some of people in my family have always been like, oh, if I feel fine, it's fine. You know what I mean? But if you have something that pops up that you're not sure about, you should talk to your doctor about it. You should get investigated. I've done a lot of talking there. I'll pause and get your reactions. Well, first, I'm very glad that you're okay. I'm sorry I had to go through that. Um, my father uh, had pancreatitis probably for most of my life. Um, and then uh, he had pain one day at my aunt's barbecue and we blamed it on the cooking. It wasn't the cooking. Anyway, he had um, pancreatic cancer. And it was on a duct. And if, he, if it hadn't been on the duct, he would have been a, uh, a dead man right there because you just don't know, like you're saying. Um, long story short, he had the surgery, had the pancreas, his, his house. He was clean for out. And then it was clean for a while. And then it, it, the cancer came back. So I'm with you that, you know, you got to look after. If I was a very strong man, you know, the pancreatitis would wipe him out. He'd be in the hospital at least three, four, five times a year. Um uh, and no one ever said that that pancreatitis was going to cause cancer. Um, and it's part of the reasons why I live the life I live, which is a, a much healthier is because I don't want to get sick like that. But, um, right. I'll tell you, you know, the only thing I haven't done is that colonoscopy and, uh, and you know, this is like a wake up call to go, to go get it done. And I owe you blood work, by the way, I owe you some blood work. I haven't even looked myself at it. Great. Well, thank, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're well. Thank you. Thank you. And I think, yeah, that, same here, Jim. Thank glad, you. Glad, glad it turned out all right. Yeah. Nobody really knew about it. Only a few, very small number of people knew about it before I went in for the surgery. I was working. I mean, I didn't have anything else to do. And you go to a hospital, you know, you, you're working right up into the literally until I go off, I'm checking my emails, which is fine. I was happy to do that. I didn't have to do that. The firm would be completely supportive if I didn't do that. I just made a decision. I didn't want to talk about it until after. Um, you know, a lot of people asked me about uh, the hospital. So when I, I was there at 5 a.m. and it was packed, 
there were probably 30 to 50 people going in for surgery. And it's, it's interesting to me, like we made a decision for my wife not to come in. We left at 3.30 in the morning. She dropped me off. And I was like, oh, you don't want to be in with all these other COVID, potentially COVID people, right? They did a COVID test. I was negative. Uh, they did one of those PCR media tests where they go all the way back into the back of your brain and you wait like 30 minutes or an hour. I remember what we waited for. But it was surprising to me that there were a lot of, I, I guess, people need support when they're going into um, surgery and I, I'm all for that, but I was surprised at the number of people that were there. It was, it was, it was very packed. I never once thought I'm going to get COVID being at the hospital. I, I, I guess I just relied on making sure I stayed distant from those people. And I, I you know, I wore a mask and I, I didn't, I didn't feel worried about it. The, uh, but the, yeah, Jeff, the, the, the pancreatic cancer is, is no good. And, you know, I'm sorry that your dad went through that. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's a wake up call for us all. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, one of my best, my best friend from high school ended up having a tumor in his brain. And, you know, he had no signs of it until we were having a conversation one day and his wife called me after and he goes, she goes, do you know something weird? I'm like, yeah, that was like a weird conversation with him. You know, and, and you just don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of sad because I think I'll live forever, right? I'm one of those guys like, ah, put it off today because you're going to have it tomorrow. And then you hear these things, but, you know, cause you just, you know, yeah, I'm going to like a hundred, right. I'm like worried of like, how am I going to run a marathon at 90 years old? Like, that's my, my biggest question is right. You know, but there's all these things that can happen in between. And so, you know, you got to be thankful for the life you have. You got to take care of yourself. And, and when I go online and look at those symptom things, man, you go down that rabbit hole. Like, Oh my God, I think I have this, or I have that. So I give you a lot of credit with your mindset for being positive and not going down that rabbit hole. Cause I would have gone down it. I would have been like, well, oh, I, I definitely went down it. I mean, you definitely think, I mean, in my head, I was already preparing. Like if I am going to die in six months, I can't believe I'm the person that's going to die in six months, but if that is going to happen to me, I'm going to have to set things right before I go. I mean, it's just normal to go through that. Right. Um, but I also try to stay positive and, you know, I got a six day streak again. I had a 500 day streak and now I have a six day streak and I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not hurt. You know, I'm still recovering for sure. I'd say I'm probably 75 or 80% of where I was before. Uh, but you know what, that's better than being 0% (laughs) or, or dead. Right. So, uh, and, um, you just got to stay positive. And I think that, I am probably, I probably recovered faster than most because of the way I do live. Right. And I'm back at it because of the way I do live. And I do believe a positivity, positive mindset is important. Now, colonoscopy wise, you know, I get one of those pretty much every year, you know, and you know, Jeff, it's time for you to get one. And you know, you, it's not bad. They give you some prep the night before the night before, if you can, my advice to you is take the prep, and make sure that you can be kind of by yourself and, you know, maybe tell your family, you're going to go to the bathroom a lot and watch a show or two. You know, like I get myself in the place where the, I try not to have prep be too miserable. Um, and it used to be much more miserable. Years it was. Ago, when you had to drink go, li- go lightly. I don't know if you ever had to do that. Like a gallon of stuff. Yeah. Now they can give you a couple <laughs> drops of some and they can, they can make you uh, cleanse yourself. Right. Yeah. So I just did one. I, I, I did every 10 years starting at 50. And so that was, that's, and then I had, it's just turned 60 and I did it again, much easier. It wasn't even, it wasn't that bad at all. And you get the peace of mind. You know, it's like the, the thing, I mean, and, and, you know, they found some pops. Nobody deal. They said, but we're going to, we're going to move you to five, every, every five years, not 10. You know, but some people, you know, they, they never get around to doing it and they tell them you're, you're dead. You know I mean? It's like, 
if they get, if they get it too late, it can it can you can be a goner. This is why preventative so, medicine is so important. Trying to just get a physical once a year, get some blood work under the hood. You know, I have this thing also called pancreatic enzyme insufficiency. I'm I'm having that right now, right? Which is which is why there is something going on with the pancreas too, but everything looks fine. All my scans look fine. So nobody can ever figure it out. And they're, they're, they're saying, maybe, well, maybe you should take some pancreatic enzymes, which come from a pig. I don't want those. So somebody else is telling me they come from somewhere else. And, and what pancreatic enzyme insufficiency is, is you have a problem absorbing fat. I always just assume it was my Crohn's and it could very well be my Crohn's, right? But I just got to stay on top of that so it doesn't turn into something bad because usually pancreatic, when you have pancreatitis, my, my bile ducts are gone now. And when you have pancreatitis, like you don't want to mess around with that. You know, you don't want to mess around with anything like that. And um, so that's kind of where I was at. And Amelia, were you going to say something? Well, I'd like to also say I'm very happy and pleased <laughs> to hear that everything went well and that you're okay. And, um, you know, I just, the, the one thing that's kind of interesting because I, I tend to be like you and I do get blood work done and I always go for a physical and I like to get checked out. But it's interesting, the counter argument is really, is made very articulately by my, by two of my friends who are doctors who, you know, when I tell them that I get blood work, they shake their head and they say, you're an idiot, you shouldn't do that. And what, 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 what reasons it, I'm curious what reason they give for that. Sure. I mean, they, they just feel like, um, if there's something wrong or you feel something, you should absolutely get it checked out. Um, but they, uh, are, you know, they provided me with a lot of stats about the dangers of medical intervention and how statistically they feel like you're better off, right? Just say, just say you're an average person. Statistically, you're better off not seeing a doctor um, unless you have an obvious symptom than, than not, right? So um, it's just an interesting, I just wanted to bring that up as an interesting counter argument. I'm not, again, I, I tend to feel much better when I'm getting blood work, but they feel like you often will find something. And normally the response to that from a doctor is to do something about it. Uh, the most common way is to put you on some kind of medication um, that probably hasn't, you know, just, you know, despite what they advertise, probably hasn't been vetted in the way you'd really like it to be vetted. I mean, we all know that oftentimes or all the time, pharmaceutical companies um, are very quick to, you know, they'll, they'll test something and if they don't like the results, you'll never hear about it. And they'll test it again until they get some kind of test or result that they like. So I, I think the point is, and, and it's funny, one of, the, one of the guys just gave me a book to read, which I'm reading now, called um, Medical Nihilism. It touches on this. But it is an interesting point. Um, and, uh, you know, the statistics are pretty horrifying. I know that uh, medical intervention or mistakes are one of the leading causes of death. Um, you know, I don't know if it's, I, you know, I haven't looked in a while, I would say it's top 10 or something. But just just throwing that out there again, I, I tend to tend to I'm interested in that argument, and I and I'm interested, and I and I've kind of pursued it quite a bit. I'll let you know once I finish this book um, what I what I think about it. But I also uh, again feel better myself when I'm looking at at my numbers and getting things tested off. Well, well you, yeah, and it's very interesting. And I don't know what the right answer is, right? Because you have somebody like my mom who's 77 years old and has, at some points hasn't gone to the doctor for 30 years. 
Right. Unless she's got something wrong with her, you know, like where we know there's something real, then maybe she'll see somebody. Otherwise, she won't. And, you know, this person I was talking about earlier with the low vitamin D and the low B12, who's to say whether or not that person would just be fine? And, you know, I mean, like, and how much of a difference is it going to make for that person to take some supplements and to make some life changes? But we play percentages, right? At least that's the way I think about it, right? And, and we play odds, right? And the odds were not that I would get a tumor on my gallbladder and have my gallbladder removed particularly the way I live, but it, what somebody should hear is, wow, if that guy is living the way he lives and I really do live healthy and he had that, you know what I mean? Like who's to say that'll happen to me or won't happen to me. And you know what I mean? If I have symptoms, do should I get them checked out? Who knows? Right. But so I don't know what the answer is. I will say that uh, very often I do get pushback when um, I ask, uh, I recommend to people I coach, Hey, why don't you get this blood work and make sure you get more right. detailed blood work, like get your, get your vitamin D tested and get your B12 tested and get, and if you can get LD, if you can get cholesterol particle, lipid particle data, HDLP, LDLP, you know, which is very new. And a lot of people, a lot of doctors don't even know how to interpret it other than they look at the ranges, but who's I, the answer is, I don't know. I know for somebody like me, like where I do like, I'm pretty in touch with my body. And had I not gone to the doctor and this, that, that thing was precancerous. That thing would have turned into cancer. And if I had not dealt with it, that would have killed me at some point. You know, how, how long does it take? Who knows? Right. right. So it's, it's a little bit disheartening to me to hear doctors say that because, but they are also playing the percentages and right. they're also sitting there saying, you know what? I, I know that, you know, if you come in and, you know, like I had some blood work uh, follow up over the last few days and I had a couple of things out of range. Right. And you know what? The, the doctor's office came back and said, blood work's fine because they're only looking at my liver enzymes and my pancreatic enzymes, right? They're only looking at those things to see if they're okay. And the right. fact that you know, I had some eosinophils that were off somewhere else or a glucose level that was off somewhere else, they don't care about that, right? right. And the next time I do the blood work, it's going to be fine probably. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is, that's the other thing I think is that we only get, I mean, I say we, but I only get my uh, blood tested, you know, infrequently, let's say. But, you know, things fluctuate so much that it's not always meaningful to get just one panel. I mean, it's help, it can be very helpful and directional, but things are constantly fluctuating. I mean, a great example is blood pressure. I think I've had ever, I mean, I've never had really bad blood pressure. Um, my blood pressure tends to be low, but it's been, the range is pretty significant. I mean, I've had, you know, everything from probably, uh, you know, I don't know, 100 over 70 to, you know, 130 over 85 or something, you know, it really, that's the kind of thing that is all over the place. Yeah, I think the, I agree. And I think the other mindset to have, and I think about this very frequently, is if we are doing preventative, what I'll call preventative medicine, and we are trying to get tests, you know, it's kind of like me as a coach, if you do go out and do a workout, and I have you do heart rate recovery, which is as soon as you some of you've done this, as soon as you finish your workout, stop, Let's look, let's see what it looks, how fast your heart rate goes down, how many beats it goes down. I can't judge it based on one or two readings because right. you might've been stressed. You might've been not trying. Right. So a lot of times I need, like, if you give me a month of data, you know what I mean? And I can say to you, Hey, were you trying? Were you relaxed? You know, you know, and I can get some questions going, then I can tell. Right. And, 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 and I think the same is true when we get blood work. Right. It's like if you have if you're going and you're doing preventive medicine and you're seeing your same doctor, which I recommend over and over over years, they can start to see, you know, OK, wow. You know what? Every time you've come in for the last whatever, your blood pressure has been high. Right. 
or your LDL has been high, and now is the time that we have to think about it. Now, this guy I told you about with the really low vitamin D and the really low B12, there was no question. It was so low. He's like, you need to supplement now, and some people have to go in and get the shots, right? So it really is like a, a question around, like, who knows for sure, but I would much rather see somebody, you know, once a year and just make sure. And, Jim, I think there's another point to that, which is, you know, the, one of the ways I look at it is, if, you know, wouldn't you rather kind of know and then you can make a decision? I mean, I think people have had a hard time or it causes them anxiety to say no to a doctor when something's prescribed or, you know, when something. But I think, you know, wouldn't you rather know, they're saying, oh, this level's high, we want to do this, and then make up kind of your own decision. I mean, I know, like, for example, whenever I go to the dentist, they, they you know, they, they can't wait to give me an x-ray. That's, you know, they're just... Like, oh, no, you got to get an x-ray. you got to get an x-ray. And I'm always saying no. And it's always just a tiny bit uncomfortable, even though I'm not, I don't have a problem with saying no. But I know with doctors, oftentimes people end up just saying, okay, yeah, you're going to prescribe that. I'll just do it rather than really, you know, thinking about it. So another way to look at it is why not get the information, get your blood work, hear what a doctor has to say, and then kind of make your own decision about it. I 100% agree. I think, I think that's management of your health. Right. I think I think doctors too. They you know they think about things in policy terms, in the sense that well, if they're not thinking just about you, but they're thinking if, if everyone comes in here and wants these blood tests, it's going to overload. It's going to the, the, the healthcare system, and there's no efficiency or effectiveness for it. So therefore, we should want to discourage it. Mm-hmm. And my reaction is like, yeah, that's fine. You worry about your policy. I'm going to worry about myself. Right. I, I mean, I want to get that annual visit. I want all the panels. You know, it's like I want it out. And we're talking about like just being proactive like you are, Charlie, with your health where you get things checked out. You do have to take things with a grain of salt because doctors are people and they have their own opinions and their own biases, just like all of us do towards everything in life. Right. So I think that what we've been talking about here is just take control, get the information, but don't freak out. Don't don't be the hypochondriac that, you know, goes online and looks up everything and, you know, just freaks out about it. Like I try and be balanced about it. No, so just circling back on the colonoscopy, right? So I didn't get it, right? It's COVID. I didn't want to go in a hospital. The doctor wanted me to go from Brooklyn into Manhattan. So I'm just asking you guys, based on your experience, can you get a good colonoscopy anywhere? Like, if I'm in South Carolina, can I go to the facility here, get it, and and is that what you recommend doing as long as I'm comfortable with the COVID situation? But any, anywhere is going to be fine in today's world. It's a million times better than it was 25 years ago, and you'll be fine. The most important thing is you just want somebody to go up there with a camera, make sure you don't have any polyps. If you have polyps, they remove them a lot of times, and they just take some biopsies just to make sure you're fine. Like, you just don't want to be the person. I remember when I first got Crohn's disease in two, I mean, when I was 24, so 26 years ago, my doctor was the guy that, that worked with Katie Keurig's husband and he hadn't had it checked he was 39 yeah. years old and he died of colon cancer yeah, yeah. she became she became katie Couric became like a big like a pro like hey get yourself checked every year and so and who knows a 39 year old guy would die who knows a 50 year old guy like me has a tumor on their gallbladder and if it's if it's malignant could die in six months you know you just yeah. never know somebody put it to me perfectly one of our partners bill he said life jim life is fragile you just never know Jeff, where are you yeah. in South Carolina? Uh, I'm in Conway, and the Duke Conway Medical Center is down the road. Um, I'm, I might, so I might go back to New York in January. So maybe I'll go back to New York and do it. So I've been, I just don't know. If you want to, <laughs> you know. if you want to use my doctor, he's great. I trust him. He's a pro. 
I do the upper endoscopy and lower endoscopy. If you got somebody in New York, great. If you want, I my friend went to Duke Medical School. My, a, guy, a guy I'm in a band with, and I'm sure he could recommend somebody at Duke yeah. if you want to, or Bill might know somebody Duke. Bill's. Yeah, either Duke or, or if you're, you know, if Charlotte is convenient, I can certainly set you up here in Charlotte. Yeah, I'm in I'm in Conway, South Carolina, but and so Duke took over the hospital group here. Yeah. Um, so when I went by the hospital, it's Duke, whatever. So I, I just and then the bottom line is you take the stuff and then you need to have somebody um, uh, take you there and take you home, right? You can't drive home. Yeah, that's is right. that the problem? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they give you, I mean, they give you. Yeah, they 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 drug you. Uh, I, I will uh, I will look to get one in the next few months, definitely. And so so glad it worked out for you, Jim. That's a scary Thank shit. You. Thank you. It was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me in my life, and it has changed my perspective for for the better. And you know, I never thought I'd be the type of person who was saying, "Hey, live life to the fullest," because you never know what's going to happen. I always kind of thought, as long as you live your life healthy, I, I'm like Jeff. I think I'm going to live to be 100. But you know, when you're faced with uh, maybe that won't happen, you know, maybe you should live your life to the fullest. Yes. Hey, Shruti. Hi. First off, I'm so glad you're doing okay, and uh, that was quite a, a scary experience, even to just uh, hear about it. I can't imagine what you went through. Um, so, uh, and I'm and so glad that you're doing okay now. Thank you. This concludes today's episode. I would love to hear from you and get your perspective on what we discussed. If you have any other perspectives, if you had a life event that changed you, if you are going to make some changes based on what you heard from me and others on this podcast, and you can always email me at info at jvbwellness.com. That's info at jvbwellness.com. Happy holidays.